Hey family, I'm Mark. Welcome to the Kinship Collective Podcast. We are ending otherness together. We know that as we share and lament and celebrate our stories and reimagine scripture, we are growing that connected sense of solidarity with one another. This week, we got to hang out with April Diaz. She's the founder and leader of Azer & Co., a company for women, by women, where coaches come alongside sisters to help them live the most vibrant and authentic life they can. April and I talk about agency and how we honor the divinity and story of others around us. We talked about what it's like for her to be a white mama who's adopted and is raising two black children in 2022 in the social climate we're living in. And we talked about Genesis chapter two. It is a beautiful conversation. And we know that as you listen to these conversations week after week, that you're growing your sense of empathy. You're expanding some of your perspective and growing in the ability to reimagine scripture and to come to honor your own perspective of scripture. We're really grateful for you. If that's the case for you, we'd love to hear back from you. We've heard back from some about how appreciative they are of some of the stories that have been shared, how it gives them language. We'd love to hear back from you. If it's helping, subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. Follow us on Instagram at The Kinship Collective. We want to continue to be a part of that journey, to grow kinship in the world and to end otherness together. During this week's conversation, we experienced so many technical difficulties. We had to record it like three different times. So you'll feel a little bit of the clunky technical stuff on there, but April's story is still just as powerful and transformative. She talks about forgiveness and resilience and what it's been like for her along this journey of starting something new. It's incredible. So now let's listen to April Diaz. Hey, family, welcome to the Kinship Collective. We are ending otherness. We are growing solidarity by sharing and celebrating and lamenting our stories together and reimagining scripture together. Ladies and gentlemen, today from Orange County, California, the founder and leader of Ezra & Co., an organization committed to unleashing women into their full life to live and lead with wholeness, no restrictions, no limits. This is an incredible coach, an incredible leader, an incredible partner, incredible mom. Ladies and gentlemen, today we get to hang with April Diaz. Come on. I just need this as like my alarm every morning because that would get me out of bed way faster <laughs> than my <laughs> alarm clock would. That's fantastic. Oh, that- thank you. <laughs> April, I'm so um, glad to kind of be back having another conversation with you. We had maybe coaching conversations, I think in 2014 or so. Um, wow. Absolutely. Back, 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 way back. It might actually might have been 2015. But it was a long time ago. Many moons and a couple of lifetimes ago for both of us. Yes. Yes. Which is like an absolute whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
April, I thought of you, I saw a recent post and I thought, oh, I would love to have a conversation with April about what it has been like because I've been on the sidelines and I've kind of watched you navigate the world. I didn't know that you were a part of uh, two of these the, the largest maybe or most influential churches in the United States. Um, and even as I say that now, it makes me think about the ways, like I've been a part of, <laughs> I'll yeah. use air quotes. Maybe you can hear my air quotes, these influential churches yeah, totally. and what it's like to navigate yeah. those spaces. And I'm like, I'm imagining what it was like to imagine those space or to, to navigate those spaces yeah. But then to now see you and you've created a new space committed to honoring the dignity of the women around you. I think even beginning with you, mm-hmm. inspired by your daughter, um, April, would you share a little bit about the story of Ezra and Co. and what you're hoping to do with that? Yeah, yeah. So Ezra and Co. will be three years old on March 15th. Oh, cool. So she was launched uh, in March of 2019. And it really came about a year after I had a pretty significant pattern interruption in my life. I got Mm. fired from a job. That mattered to me. That Mm. was um, a pretty painful and very disorienting experience. Wow. And it kind of like pull the rug out from underneath me. I, I, had already, I had already been in kind of like some middle in-between spaces vocationally. Mm-hmm. I'd been mm-hmm. coaching and contracting with a few different organizations and, and really doing my work mm-hmm. through other folks and on my own. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have like kind of this central base, you know, like this home team or this main thing that I was oh. doing. I was contributing to all of these spaces. So when I lost this job, it really sent me into a – a bit of a tailspin because first of all, it was, it felt very betraying and it felt very painful. Oh, man. Um, but also because I was 38 at the time mm. and I sensed that something new needed to be born from me and it wasn't going to be human, <laughs> but something <laughs> new in my work. You know, I'd been uh-huh. 20 years in the personal development space, the spiritual leadership, spiritual formation, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And being close to 40 I was really sensing like God going, there's something new that I mm. need to do with you. And and specifically about three weeks after I got fired from this job, I was sitting on my patio at four o'clock in the morning, just sobbing, just totally undone with what was happening. Mm. And I sensed God say to, to me, you have been building other men's visions for 20 years. Mm. It's time for you to build the vision that I have placed in you. Mm, mm, mm. And it was, Mark, it was like the most centering, aligning, like everything kind of went into like hyper focus for me in that moment. Mm. Um, But God didn't say at that point, March 2018, what it would be. Just that it was time for me Mm -hmm. to do something. So really, I spent the rest of that year, 2018, forgiving because I was very convinced that if I was going to... Uh, pursue the vision that God had placed in me, I could not bring baggage or a lack of forgiveness into what that next thing was. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of forgiveness work that I had to do specifically for the person who had fired me. But um, second of all, for, you know, kind of these additional 
traumas, additional woundings mm-hmm. that had happened in mm-hmm. 20 years of me building other men's visions. Mm. And at the end of 2018, uh, my family was driving back from a trip in Northern Oregon and we were mm-hmm. headed back into Orange County. And I was pretty desperate because it was like towards the end of the year. And I was like, it's freaking been a year almost. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I don't want to walk into another year with mm-hmm. this lack of clarity about what it is. Mm. And, um, in that space and time, that drive home from Oregon, a conversation with a friend about two weeks later, mm. she she said, that friend, God, both, <laughs> she said, mm. um, April, you have it freaking tattooed on your arm. And I was like, what? Come again? So I have the word Azer tattooed mm-hmm. on my arm, both the mm. English and the Hebrew. I've had it tattooed on my arm since, oh gosh, it's probably been eight or nine years now. Um, But I got it tattooed on my arm to remind me who that I was Mm. because the world is very good at telling me about the places and spaces that I belong Mm -hmm. and it doesn't align with both my calling and my gifts. And Mm. so I needed it tattooed to remind me like viscerally, visually on the regular, like both who I was and what I was supposed to do in the world. So when my friend says to me, April, you've got it tattooed on your arm. That set me into the next couple of months of really doing a deep dive into what what does Azer look like? What does this Azer thing look like in a in a vocation in a work mm. that I do? Yeah. So fast forward uh, to February of 2019, my daughter was in fourth grade at the time, maybe third grade. Time is weird, um, <laughs> and she had to do a, a speech at school. And it was on a current events. And the day that she was assigned to deliver that speech was actually going to be on International Women's Day. So it was the first Friday of March. Mm-hmm. And so we were kind of investigating like what's happening in the world. My daughter is Ethiopian, which you know. So like mm. I, we were like looking globally, right? Like what is happening in the world? What is happening maybe with black women, women of color? Mm. And it, I discovered at like 40 years old that or whatever, late 30s, that March is Women's History Month and that the day that Adesay was supposed to give her speech was on International Women's Day. So I said, hey, what if you give your speech on what International Women's Day means? And she was like, cool. So she writes the speech on her own and we are driving in the car, mm, mm, mm. minivan, mind you, mama's got a <laughs> minivan, and we were driving down the street and she said, mom, I'm finished with it. Can I read it to you? And I was like, yep, go for it. And it's, you know, four or five sentences long, right? Third grade, fourth grade. It's not a big deal. But the last sentence of her speech was, and International Women's Day is important because women are strong and powerful and have made a difference in this world. And, dude, I lost it. I just lost it. Yeah. I mean, thank God I didn't wreck the minivan. Yes. Um, Oh, my goodness. But it was so, again, kind of like one of those moments where you just Mm. feel like everything come into focus and everything leveled down. And literally the next thing that I remember God saying to me was, if you want to launch a company that is designed for women to become the fullness of who they've been created to be, then you best launch it in Women's History Month. Because Mm. I have been doing a work in and through women for all of history. And so you need to join mm-hmm. in the stream of what has already been happening. So I had resistance to doing mm-hmm. that um, mm-hmm. because I didn't do or have any of the things that all of the old white dudes who had launched businesses in the last 50 years <laughs> tell you that you need to start a company. Right. I didn't have a vision 
or values or a mission statement or a business plan or a financial model or a website. I had nothing mm. except for this deep sense inside of me that now was the time. And my daughter was a bit of a prophetess in that moment. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I very clearly heard God say, can you trust me to build this company in the company of other powerful women who will help you to build it? Yes, you'll probably look like a fool. Yes, you'll probably make a thousand mistakes. Mm. But can you trust me that you will join in the stream of what has already been happening for centuries and millennia with what women have already been doing in this world? And Mm -hmm. so I said yes. And really, we launched on March 15th, 2019 with a website handle, like only a a landing page like there was nothing on our website uh-huh. and azer and co as our instagram handle and that was it mm. nothing else and um it's been a wild ride ever since but i i'm so grateful for that story that was led by my daughter mm. me too <laughs> and i think i mean i i know the beauty of my daughter's calling out sometimes the best in me or giving me clarity in, in moments. It's, it's what a gift, mm-hmm. what a yep. gift yep. <laughs> for all the times where the, the, the AirPods get unplugged and somebody steals a charger for a different, whatever. <laughs> oh my goodness. The moments are overshadowed by all of the beauty and truth that they, they kind of guide mm-hmm. us towards mm-hmm. April. When you were sharing, you talked about being fired and, and I have a, a similar story, even with not just, Kinship, kinship came a few years after being fired, but I was also fired in 2018 and it was this, it was a reckoning moment. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, the thing that came up in me when you were sharing is like, would you, I'm a, <laughs> I'm an Enneagram <laughs> two idealistic, like number one positivity on strengths finder. And for most of my career, my mindset was like, how do I adapt and shift and make this thing the thing? And even in my head, I feel like there's dots that are connecting around like um, perfectionism or some of the abandonment that I experienced as a child and like trying to get it right and never wanting to be abandoned and doing everything I could to try and like whatever. Yeah. Um, And so... But I, but so I was never going to be the one that would, at that particular point in time, walk away from something, even if I knew I was a square peg in a round hole, I was going to keep trying to fix the hole and keep trying to like, yeah, make all these adjustments and innovations to try and make the thing fit. And when I look back at my story, I'm like, I'm really grateful because this person had the vision and courage mm. and whatever other things around them to make a decision that I wouldn't have made for myself. But I'm yeah. so grateful today, you know, four years away from that, that like that person did that. And I understood nothing of it at the time. And I was like, this has more to do with you than it has to do with me. I, I don't understand. And today I'm like, thank God. Like literally, yep. I'm just really, really grateful. So my my question for you in that is like, I mean, it's, I, it's almost like I want to ask the biggest one to get the biggest response back. The first question that came up was like, do you think you would have ever walked away had this person not fired you? Mm. What do you think about that journey? And you talked about forgiveness and like, how was that? I just see like that, that with, yeah. what they used to talk about the right foot of fellowship. I just see like that, that the propelling you into purpose and future. And now this yeah. beautiful vision of many women participating in liberation, their liberation and the liberation mm-hmm. of women around them. 
for you, how do you think of that moment now of being fired? Yeah, such a great, vague, giant question. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. You know, I used to always say that some of the best people that I knew, some of the most powerful spiritual leaders and influencers and like game changers were people that had been fired. And I hadn't been fired up until that point. And so I was kind of like, oh, crap. (laughs) I'm not one of them. And then I got uh, fired and I was like, well, shit, I don't yeah. want to be in this gang. Like this is, this is a crappy community yeah. to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if I, if I ever would have left, I'd like to say yes, because yeah. there were things that were building and brewing in me for a long time. And I knew that I needed to leave a lot earlier than I actually mm. got fired. Mm-hmm. And so there was an element of, I felt like God was saying as well, that like I did not follow in obedience and with the faith that I needed in order to do the new thing. Mm -hmm. And part of my work as a coach is to help people build bridges from where they're at to where they need to be or where they want to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think I was really close to actually building a bridge for myself that would not have involved getting fired and also would not have involved the pain that that caused. Mm -hmm. However, I also believe that pain has been some of the most valuable teaching for me in my life. It has been so transformative for me Mm. because it has caused a deep dependence and surrender and opening and imagination that I wouldn't have done otherwise. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I would have been fired. There's been a thousand things that it has taught me and I am entirely grateful for it because it did, it entirely shifted my trajectory and Again, like that's a lot of the work that I do as a coach now is you make a one degree trajectory shift mm. and over time, that destination proves entirely different than if you would have stayed on the same course. Mm-hmm. And so that was a pretty massive trajectory shift for me. But I do see, oh my gosh, like even four years later, what a completely mm-hmm. different place that I'm in as a result of that one action. So, you know, Mm -hmm. one milestone moment, like one catalytic event, one decision can be the place that totally changes for you, the direction of your life and the outcomes that you get from it. So yes, I'm grateful. I would have chosen probably a different way. And there was, I think a lot of injustice and harm as a result of that, but some of it was my own damn fault. Yeah. Mm. Jeez, Louise. I, I, (laughs) I, I resonate with a lot of that too. Um, and, but I, I, and it's funny, I, I never thought about the, um, being a part of the club of the people, like the misfits who get fired because there's, it doesn't feel, um, powerful. It, it definitely feels yeah. powerless, especially depending on fi- finances and all that stuff. But yeah, there's sure. a huge sense of rejection that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is a powerless um, feeling. And I remember yeah. those questions of being like, I remember feeling so um, angry. I yeah. say, yo, this person is not the person who can tell me that I'm invaluable to this organization. Like, how Absolutely. can this, not this person. I remember being mm-hmm. so like caught up in that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, um, it's that, that pain. And I'm, I'm just imagining there's so many places where people who will listen to this or you may find yourself in that position of powerlessness one of the things that came up for me when you talked about that was um divorce 
And I was thinking mm-hmm. about the ways that people, and I never thought this thought before, but the ways that when I remember meeting with a brother one time and he was talking about the feelings that he felt about himself after mm-hmm. divorce. Mm-hmm. And and this is like, we're both kind of entrenched in church world. And because now I look around at people who are now being, now the, the process of divorce is painful, gut-wrenching, all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm watching liberation take place in some of the sure. people as this is happening to them in yep. unjust ways, like you talked about your firing. I've never kind of married those. And they're definitely different things yep. when your life sure. is intertwined with a partner. That's yep. a whole different thing. Yeah, but that totally. sense of being like the scarlet letter of like unworthy, invaluable, that was... Yeah. I mean, I've never um, thought about this, but that comes up for me about the times Mm -hmm. when something declares that our contribution isn't valuable anymore. Yeah. Our family, we come out to our family or we share a new political belief Mm -hmm. or whatever. And it seems like people can stamp Mm -hmm. us unworthy, invaluable, can't contribute here anymore. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of being invited, what I look... What you're talking about too, the beauty of being invited into a larger stream of people who have been doing those kinds of things. And it doesn't matter what kind of things you're doing, but when you're on the side of liberation and women's rights, what a beautiful stream to be pushed towards. Mm -hmm. How beautiful. And and I'm, I'm really inspired by not just like what you're doing, but how you're doing it. Well, and that's why I took that year in forgiveness and in healing, because I knew that like creating something new needs to come from places of purity and of wholeness, really. Right. And so I was, I was very determined to not start something new coming from this place of like, well, screw the man and F this and I'm done with it all. Right. Which is very possible. Screw like that! Screw you! Enneagram eight, you know, like that's mm. that's in my DNA. I'm very capable of that pathway. Mm. But the the path of of wholeness for me was to do the work of you know what was going on for me that I didn't have the courage to quit. Why was it that I was trying to force fit myself into molds and into boxes and places and spaces where clearly I was never going to be fully welcomed or fully included, or my voice was not going to be fully heard. Why was it that I was okay with accepting the pay that I was receiving? Why was it that I would, you know, shut my mouth when men would speak against why they wouldn't hire a woman for the pastoral position that I was helping them to fill. So there was, there was a lot of work that needed to be done, even as I was being removed from that place. And we talk all the time at Azer and Co about your whole story mattering. And Part of that was for me doing the work of like understanding and owning my story. Um, Because yes, I got fired, but the the better question is why is this happening? Like not why is this happening to me, but what if this is happening for me? And so Mm -hmm. if this is happening for me, if I really believe that the God of the universe is always working things out for my good and loves me beyond anything I could ask or imagine is always working my benefit. If I really Mm. believe that to be true, then these little spaces that I was leading in or contributing to that felt so big and important really did not have the say on me. Like mm. I actually remember sitting on my patio when I described, you know, God saying like for 20 years, you've been building other men's visions. Now it's time for you to build your own. I was actually sitting on my patio covered up in a blanket 
that the that the the guy who fired me had given to me as a Christmas present the year before. And mm. I looked down and I saw that I was wrapped in it was a very like cozy cut like snuggly warm yeah. blanket, right? It was yeah. just like the perfect month. But I like looked down and I felt so disgusted and so oh. angry looking mm. at like how I was wrapped up in this blanket. And I just felt like I just wanted to throw it off my balcony and like say all the swear words and all the like damning things that I could. Mm -hmm. And in the next breath, God said, they don't cover you. I cover you. Mm -hmm. This blanket is wrapped around you. They do not wrap you up. They do not hold the story. They are not covering you. I got you. And so I literally, I kept that blanket for another two years because it was such a good reminder to me of. Like, who do I serve? Who do I follow? What am I about? This is not some man's thing. This is something I, I belong to something bigger and better. So yes to all of that. Um, but I really think that especially for leaders, we have to do an exorbitant amount of work to understand our story and to own it so that it does not own us. Mm. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm like blown away. And and it's it's like, there's like dots connecting even in my own story as I'm hearing you share in my mind, I'm imagining the people on the other end of our conversation who are saying like, mm-hmm. it's almost like that, that, that coaching session. It's almost like that entry level. This is probably more than entry level, but really yeah. for you, what did that mean? So one of the things that came up for me when you were sharing was like, for me, I, 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 uh, <laughs> I ended up walking away from another space I went from like being fired to like finding a space that wasn't quite that, but wasn't exactly what yeah. like I wanted to create, but felt more freeing than the other thing. Mm-hmm. And I was in that space. And then I, I was confronted with some of the ways that there were, there was oppression, white supremacy and suppression and um, homophobism and all kinds of things, mm-hmm. that, homophobia, things going on in there that like I wasn't about. And so I was able to have the courage yeah. to, walk away finally which was a gift to me that mm-hmm. i could make that choice this time in a way i wouldn't have absolutely before. and another gift was Gross. the people around me who who i could be in solidarity with um who were showing me the picture of why it mattered yeah um but so i walked away but the thing that connected for me was like and then i spent a few months trying to like reorient myself, but I didn't understand because I still want to be really productive. I want to run really, really hard for like now this new thing. And life was crazy. There were all kinds of things happening in life. This is, you know, 2021 and all the realities oh. of like what that's like. Um, and that reality for me, there was like some emotional things. There were some things in, in my partnership with my wife that were like, we had to like work through them. Yeah. And I just, and I couldn't run a million miles an hour at a new thing. But I also feel like the beauty of like the space. So for me, when I heard you say that, it's like, blah, 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 Mar, get to the point. But getting, remembering that like that time to make sure that when we do record in person, when we are together and it's a different kind of vibe, to know that the the time that was taken to let the dust settle a little bit, mm. to work through some of those other personal things. So when you talk about your whole story matters, the coaching reality of like, yeah, you, you can't, Azer and Co. can't be the most extraordinary thing that it's meant to be if April is still, the, the internal kind of mm-hmm. um, wounds are past. still... Um, 
you know, not healed. Mm -hmm. It's it's the, the image in my mind is like the pus and yeah, uh, totally. Doctor Pimper Popper these <laughs> these gross <laughs> within ourselves, <laughs> emotional wounds and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I feel like it's almost like I can take a breath. Like I didn't lose a mm -hmm. step by healing a bit and reorienting myself mm -hmm. a bit. No, no. Um, but so because but, when you take the time to heal, there's something really exponentially powerful that happens on the flip side. It's like, it, there is this, it's like an atom bomb, you know, it's like all of the energy gets like pushed in together. And mm. then there can be like this just catalytic atomic effect that happens mm. that there is a push and a hustle and a slog and a demand to like produce what it's doing within you is going to reveal itself and what it's, what your life is doing. And that is certainly not the world, what the world needs, especially from a black man or from a white woman. Mm. We need something better than that. We need something different than that. So I 100% just want to underscore for you and for those listening that taking the time to slow down or heal or actually the root word of wholeness is healing. And mm. we're not, Azer Co is not a therapy company. Like we don't, we don't do that, <laughs> but there is something remarkably healing about allowing your story to connect with each other, you know, and to allow that to inform where you're at right now and where it is that you want to go next. And you can do some work with a therapist in addition to coaching, but like understanding the fact that what happened to you in 2018 and in 2021 in forms but it doesn't have to predict mm. what it is that you do next that is really good that feels like that's mm, that feels like the um some of the power of the nurturing feminine mm -hmm. spirit the heart of knowing that like absolutely of bestowing of honoring agency we had a conversation uh with uh dr christina cleveland and in her forthcoming book, uh, God is a Black Woman, she talks about the ways that um, the sacred Black feminine holds us accountable to the beauty and the possibility and wonder that is there um, and nurtures us towards that, but doesn't kind of remove our feet from the fire of that. And so that's what I feel when you're sharing that about yeah. that, like, no, 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 yeah, there, there is healing and then the whole story matters, but also like keep keep doing that work. And so for you, when you shared about that forgiveness, what was that work for you? Can mm. you, and can you share maybe some of the steps and what I love about how you're sharing your story, there are these moments where you interpret God um, speaking, coming alongside and, and these pivotal moments in this moment where you're filled with rage at like, yo, how can I cover myself with a blanket from this person who disrespected me who mm -hmm. traumatized and you mentioned these different yep. feelings. Yeah. What was that process of forgiveness like for you? Mm -hmm. And also what did it feel like? Because I'm yeah. looking at a, a liberated woman and the yep. way, and you're liberating other women. So what did that process what were some of the steps and what did it feel like at each of the steps, maybe? Yeah. Um, so as an Enneagram eight, I am in the feelings repressed triad. Mm. So I am gut forward, followed by my thinking, followed, you know, further by my feelings. So really the dominant feeling that I have 
accessible to me at all times is anger, which then can turn into rage Mm -hmm. when I feel disrespected, hurt, violated, betrayed, and all of those things I had felt in 2018. So I think that for me, one of the things that was most valuable and powerful was that I had had enough historical therapy that I was able to revisit muscles that had simply shriveled up and to rebuild them again. Mm. So knowing that emotions are not positive or negative, they are simply energy in motion and you can allow those emotions to pass through you and they don't have to own you. But if they, if you don't allow them to pass through you, they metastasize within you versus metabolize themselves through you. Mm. So, you know, I mean, anger and rage was all the way through (laughs) that year. I mean, it was, you know, cyclical and there were, there were a lot of triggers in that year where, you know, I got kind of blacklisted from different people or different organizations or people ghost started ghosting me. And I'm like, what, what is being said about me Yeah, mm-hmm. that is not aligned with actually my integrity or my character, but now I don't have, I don't get to control the story over here. Right. 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 So, um, so I think that that was really important and valuable for me was simply going, my emotions may not tell the whole story, but I can honor them. I can allow them to pass through me and, and simply pay attention to them. If not, they can get locked up inside of me. Mm-hmm. The other thing, and I think we worked through this when I coached you a millennia ago, but um, I have had a prayer team that has been a part of my life and ministry for close to 15 years. And I have, they have been activated and working and praying on our behalf for a really long time. Mm -hmm. I lean into them pretty hardcore and ask that shield of people to cover my family's finances, to cover my reputation, to cover Mm. my integrity, to help, you know, to pray me through forgiveness issues when they came up. And a lot of times when forgiveness issues come up, they're also connected to previous forgiveness issues mm-hmm. that may have been forgiven, but simply get re-triggered. You know, they, they're sore spots. Mm-hmm. So I had a friend who said, you know, similar to like, if you would have a shoulder injury and you would, you know, it would be really, really painful upon first injury, but then you'd go and get it rehabbed. You do the physical therapy for however long they tell you to, to, you know, you do the, you do the stretching in between physical therapy sessions. You take the Advil to prevent swelling. You eat food that is going to decrease inflammation. Like you do all of the things, right? Mm. But then some days it's rainy outside and that shoulder gets activated. It just gets triggered because of what is happening atmospherically. Right. And it hurts again. And the hurt doesn't mean that you didn't do the work. The hurt doesn't mean that you didn't follow the procedure and the process that was laid out for you for your healing. But the atmosphere and the simple humanity that we have could trigger that injury in a way that reminds you of what happens. Oh, man. And so that was really a powerful experience for me about six or eight months into the process because I kept getting triggered and I was so angry at myself for being triggered. Like, can't I just let this go already? Can't this just be gone? Mm -hmm. And then I realized like, it still hurts because it is a bit of a, it's a wound. It's an injury that will persist. Mm -hmm. And instead of it looking at it, like I didn't do my work or I didn't complete the job. Maybe that is actually a gift for me to remember so that I don't go back, but also so that I can lead other people into their own forgiveness into their own liberation into their own healing. Mm. And so I think that was an important piece of it. And then the last thing that I would just say is, um, 
you know, I'm really committed to having my own counsel of folks who speak into my life and call me on my bullshit and mm. challenge me and love me back to loving myself, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I have professionals that do that, um, <sighs> that I pay good money to, but I also have people, just humans, my, my husband's, mm-hmm. you know, my inner circle of girlfriends and guy friends. Mm-hmm. And so those folks were also really, really key. I, I learned in that season that when you're in a dark place, that's a really bad time to have to build your team. Yeah. Mm. Cause Whoa. you just need them on speed dial. Like, you don't have the energy or the time to build those relationships. You need them accessible, like when you need them. Right. So I was very grateful that all of those people were on the speed dial that I needed. And that's again, part of what I encourage women to do is if you're in a great spot, make sure you're building that team Mm. because you're going to need it someday. That's, that's really, really good. So a couple of things that I heard, (laughs) I love you talked about anger and, Anger for me, uh, anger is a secondary emotion. It's not a primary emotion. It's it's designed to protect us mm-hmm. from feeling that it gives us a sense of agency over the sadness, over the powerlessness. But rage mm-hmm. and anger gives us a sense of, oh, I can do something about this. Yep. Yep. Um, but you talked about the cyclical nature of it. And so what I would point out to my sisters and brothers still listening, still washing dishes, still driving is... <laughs> Um, just like any grieving process, it's not linear. It's yeah. not up into the right. It's like two steps forward, um, three miles back, up the <laughs> hill forward, down underground into the wounded places of our yeah. soul, forward, feeling yeah. good, meet a new friend, new love, new whatever. Yeah. But it's just not linear. I love that you pointed that out and you talked about like giving yourself permission. So allow yourself to feel the grief when you feel the sadness move you to a, a space where you don't want to be. And that's something for me, April, that comes up in therapy. And even in a conversation with my partner this morning, I was like, yo, I'm 36 still talking about this. Why am I talking about this? But it's like, that's where I'm at. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. So that's what I'm going to work through today. And just to allow the emotions to take, because they are, they're showing you what is true. They're showing mm-hmm. you where you are. And mm-hmm. sometimes we just don't want to be there yeah. and it's okay to not want to be there. We want to be healed. We want to be where, wherever we want to be, but you are where you are. And I love that you shared yeah. that, you know, cyclical and just allow the emotions to move through us, to metabolize through us, to show us what's true, to show us some mm-hmm. of the old wounded spots to, as that sore comes up. Oh man, the daddy stuff is still there. The mama stuff is still there. The first boyfriend, the first girlfriend, first partner stuff yeah. still there. Yeah. First, the first rejection stuff is still there um, and allow it to, to, to metabolize. I love that word instead of metastasize and to create the transformation around that. It's inviting us to now think with your 2022 heart and mind and mm-hmm, soul mm-hmm. around those issues from wherever they came from and to find healing. And you talked about leaning into community and that times of challenge are not the best our, our minds can't even discern who's really for yeah. us in a time when you're like discombobulated. Yeah. And yeah. so establishing who is for you, who's, who's been around and knowing which voices it's almost like are aligned and, and who knows who you really are because well-meaning people can say things really well-meaning that can be 
not aligned for you that mm-hmm. somebody might have you know advised you to be like yeah well I, I think there's this gig somewhere else or whatever and you should you know da, 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 you'd be great for it it's great yep. money great security yep. blah 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 and yep. at a time where you feel unstable it's like oh yep. yeah but really mm-hmm. your heart the truest places and you knew oh no this is it's no now it's time for me to be faithful mm-hmm. to what is within me and not what is within them and specifically those yeah. men over there like we're done yeah. doing that yeah so I, I really appreciate that. Giving yourself time, not expecting a linear kind of healing journey and having people around you. And you talked about a prayer team. And I think about people who listen, you know, I think prayer, different people are in different places as it relates to prayer. But I think knowing that people are concerned about you, knowing mm-hmm. that they want what's yeah. best for you, knowing that they are thinking about you yeah. and praying for you. Um, yeah. That's really important. Thanks for sharing all that. Yeah. You know, too, I think that the, probably the number one practice that I had in my life, and this has been true for 15 years, but it's poignant in seasons of like darkness or loss or pain is solitude. Because Mm. when other voices get really loud, even those well-intentioned, well-meaning voices, It is a discipline and a practice for me to still my heart and listen to the voice of love, to listen to the voice of truth, to listen to what has been true for my whole life, you know? And I, I I am because of my nature, my gifts, my Enneagram type, like I am really good at like creating the vision or figuring out what is next or hustling and making the phone calls and getting on the things, you know, making the money. I can, I know I can do all of that, but yeah. that doesn't mean it comes from a place deep within of this is what I am to set my feet to do. Mm. And so solitude for me is that place where I get to let my life speak and listen to the voice of love and then move out of that instead of a sense of scarcity or instead of a place of fear but instead from a place of abundance and love. And that is entirely different. The actions could look the exact same, but where it comes from is entirely different. And what it does in your soul, and then I think ultimately in your impact, is worlds apart. Oh my goodness. That is really meaningful and really beautiful. I'm thinking about like, for me, I know that I just realized that it was like constant... Um not just content, but it was always like, it was, it was like strategic. I wanted to listen yeah. to this, these podcasts, these voices, yeah. these people washing dishes. I'm listening to that cutting hair. I'm doing this. It was always like always voices, always something kind of like going. Input. And so mm-hmm. to remember that, um, no, no, you need, you need to know your voice. You need to know from within yourself, what is truest to you. And even, you know, a lot of times that is going to be pain that whether it's like the speed of life, the demand of work, what I'm trying to do is build a level of adrenaline that is like, it's, it's, it's not allowing me to feel Mm -hmm. the pain. It's not allowing me to feel the fatigue or the trauma. That's like the emotion that's trying to metabolize through me. I'm Mm going to, I'm going to work. I'm going to redline my life, whether it's, it's, it's parenting, it's partnership, it's, you know, it's career, all these things. And, and the adrenaline is going to take me above so where I can't feel yeah. the emotions metabolize. And it's just like next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. 
So I really appreciate that the reminder that we get in tune with our the the truest places within ourselves in solitude and silence. So April, for me, you've talked about Azer and Co. and this beautiful organization you've created to liberate women and help women develop and encounter their own wholeness and become uh, and live and lead from those places with no restrictions. When I thought about our conversation today, I was thinking all about your organization and what you've done and what it looks like to create your own table. And now to know that like you were kicked out of the table um, the one that like, it's like you did everything right in this space for 15 years and then you still get, you still have the power to just like throw me away. Like I wasn't valuable here is, 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 is something that any minority woman mm-hmm. person of color is familiar yeah. with that yeah. reality. And when I think, but when I thought about who you are, I thought about April, the white mama to two black children and her own baby. And I was thinking about 2020, 2016, election, all the things. And I thought about my time in Orange County. And I know the realities I experienced in Orange County for the first time of being like, yo, oh, this is, oh, this is different wealth. Wealth don't look like this in San Bernardino. This, this, this is, this is different than where I'm from. But I wanted to ask you as a mama raising Judah and Addison, what what has it been like to walk with them through the realities of America in this past, you know, five years? And, and it's like not just the realities of America, it's like the realities of Orange County America that everybody knows from MTV, of course. Mm. <laughs> oh, man, I I don't even know if I have enough hindsight yet to most accurately answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been utterly heartbreaking, mm. gut-wrenching, horrifying, terrifying. Um, I feel like I've had to get myself a PhD in what is our country's story mm. um, and what racism and white supremacy and white nationalism and Mm. white evangelicalism have done Mm. and how it's impacted me, how I have cosigns, where I have aligned, um, what I just haven't even been aware of in my own ignorance. So, I mean, to make it even more interesting, Mark, I don't know if you knew this or remember, but from 2015 to 2017, my family lived in Northern Indiana. The KKK was active 10 miles from my house. Oh my goodness. And Judah was only in first and second grade when we lived there. Um, but, you know, we saw oh, Confederate man. flags and um, the election was in that time period. Indiana mm. was the first state in the union to declare Trump as the winner mm. or as, you know, the <laughs> won that state. Yeah. And um, so I, I, we made a conscious decision to move to California again in 2017, very much largely in part to our commitment to have a multi-ethnic family in a Mm. multi-ethnic environment. And so it's interesting because I, you know, I think you have a different experience in Orange County than I do. Mm. And it's been a few years for you, but um, our, literally our neighborhood that we live in has over 60 different ethnicities 
from every continent on the globe. Wow. And our kids' school, um, our elementary school, has like over 900 kids, but over 60 different ethnicities. So you've got every you know, color and language and accents and dress attire. Mm. And that was a very intentional decision for us because we were raising black children in a country that felt very, very unsafe. Mm. And I could not, we could not in our right conscious parents, our black children in a space that was 99.9% white and unequivocally racist. Mm. And so while we still experience that here, we've had some, we've had some very scary moments, even living in our neighborhood and orange County, we've had some, um, we've had some very real things happen for, for us. Oh my gosh. We, we have determined that we will place ourselves again into this larger stream of people who can contribute to our kids' lives that both look like them and don't look like them, mm. where the minority is the majority right. um, and where our kids can see themselves in as a part of both this country, but of also the a faith community, you know, a, a, a spiritual community that doesn't look as traditional as what I grew up in, but is certainly still vibrant and is still real. Mm. So that is certainly not a complete answer to that question, but these, these last seven years have been incredibly, um, demanding. And obviously George Floyd's murder in 2020 was Mm -hmm. just took it to a whole different level. Um, Judah is 13. Um, he'll turn 14 this year. Addisay turns 11 next month. Mm. So we are in the freaking thick of it where they have moved from very cute, little black babies to threats in some people's eyes. My son is taller than I am now. He weighs about as much as I do. You know, he is, he's very dark skinned, um, as is my daughter. So we are, um, very much, we're in the thick of it. We are in the deep end and my husband is Puerto Rican. So he understands what it looks like to be othered even more than I do as a woman. Um, growing up with Spanish speaking parents and black beans and rice and all of the flavors and things that were not normative. So he he has taught me a ton and we are journeying this together and what it looks like to be a very multi-ethnic family in this country. I, I, what I hear again is that theme of like, of understanding the people you put yourself around Mm -hmm. and I think you talked about the education and the intentionality. And and as soon as you said yep. that, I did remember, I remember you going to Indiana. I remember Brian had a gig and opportunity and, and then I remember you coming back Yeah, and looking back, it's, it's, and to know the values that drove that decision, it's almost, it's, it's, um, it feels like that, um, the decisions that we make to be true to, our values and the ways that those can maybe put us in position or propel us towards yep. better integrity, more authenticity, more truth, and more alignment in our own lives. Mm-hmm. To me, when you're sharing that, it, um, <laughs> we've had these different opportunities to like live around um, in different places and different family members. And it's, I, it's so interesting. It's like, I'm trying to like protect neighborhoods and all this kind of stuff, but like, <laughs> I'm like, so stupid in and of itself. I just came from like, 
you know, again, I moved from San Bernardino to Orange County and experienced like that, the complete, the otherness of that space of just knowing, like, I'm like, yo, this is different. And then I moved to these different spaces. So I, yeah. I've lived in these different environments, but I know like things might be easier or they might be financially different in yes. this space. Yes. But I'm not going to put my children and they might yes. not ever experience, like they might not, they, they might not have eyes to, to see or to experience that just yet. Yep. But it's totally. like, no, no, no. I need my children to see people who look like them uh-huh. in positions of, meaningful leadership and authority in their schools in their neighborhood yep. at their grocery store mm-hmm. at their whatever in their soccer yep. tournaments and all that kind of stuff and so that resonates with me those decisions that we make but it goes back to like back to, um environment and you talked about mm-hmm. the, the ways that environments can trigger so how do we choose the, the environments that we're going to be in how do we choose the environments we're not going to be in anymore? The, the, the environments we'll no longer tolerate. So that feels, that feels really, really important to me. I think you said a really key, two key words there. One is choices and the mm. other one is tolerates. <laughs> mm. I think that we always have more choices than we think that we do. Mm-hmm. We simply need some imagination and probably somebody else on the outside to help us to open up to what those choices might be. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, you know, God is the ultimate creative and the ultimate choice giver. And so we often like live our lives with this on and we need folks to help us like look up and around to go, Oh, I didn't even think that was possible. So even our move to California in 2017, we did not know that was possible. And it happened so quickly because we lifted our head and it got some outside people to help us think through some things and all of a sudden so quickly it became not only crazy possible but like viable and wise and yeah. but we would not have known if we just kept doing the same thing over and over again uh. which is connected to the tolerating board right uh kierkegaard says that that people Ooh. find a level of despair that they can tolerate and they call it happiness Ooh mm, mm, so mm. i when i coach folks we start looking at what are the things that you are tolerating in your life and in your leadership. And if you want to stop tolerating, all you have to do is raise the bar just a smidge to see the gap between what you are tolerating and what else is possible. Mm -hmm. And in that space, you start to see even more choices emerge. And so there, we always are all tolerating things. I am tolerating things in my own life. You know, I mean, we all do. It's, it's part of human nature. It's yeah. part of like the, the flow of lack of resistance and being comfortable and stability, Maslow's hierarchy needs. Mm-hmm. But it also is the place that keeps us stuck and keeps us from actually living into more alignment and integrity with who it is that we've been created to be, which is this living and leading with wholeness work that I'm super committed to. Mm-hmm. So those two words. I love that. Thank you for calling that to intention. I I have a close brother who I can't wait. I'm going to text him and be like, yo, yo, today's guest said a level of despair. <laughs> who said that he loves Kierkegaard? So yeah, he's kind of, yeah, he, he, so anyway, he is proud of you. Jordan <laughs> is proud of you, April. Thanks, Jordan. Jordan can't wait to hear from man. you. I'm texting you soon. April, when you when you talk about Azer, I, I didn't know you had it tatted on your arm. 
I didn't know you had it tatted in different languages on your arm. For me, the first place that it comes up in scripture is Genesis 2, I think. Two. Yep. Uh, I'm going to read this passage, but then I'm going to lean on you to help us understand what the what the background of this word means. Because I feel like it's been, I, I, it's, I look at this passage, this, it's almost like I want to read it one time and then read mm-hmm. the like, um, I don't even know, the, the humanity dignifying way because I don't like a lot of the language in here. Um, yeah, there's a reason. Yeah. So imagine this. It's 586 BC and the Israelites are captive in Babylon. They are exiled. They're in, they're in the, the home of a superpower and they are being told the way that the beginnings are. And now they are, the Jews are writing down their version of the story. You're, you're saying the Babylonians are saying, oh no, God is, God destroys other gods to make lands and then creates people just to be slaves to tend to the land. Mm-hmm. And the and and the Jews are saying, no, 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 that's not the God we know. The God we know created out of love, created to watch creation, yeah. created to bestow agency. And then we get to this part of the story, and a, a, a large part of our conversation today has been community. And then God witnesses that the person in question this mm. and, and the way that the, it's almost like I can't even frame the story because it's the world that it comes from was a world we don't live in. So like mm. man yeah. and woman and all this stuff. But it's like that that person, the person that I've created to give imagination for what I'm like and to have imagination for what I'm like and to give an image for what I'm like is lonely, is is incomplete, is partnerless is without community, without someone to dream with, without someone to create with. And so that's where we find ourselves in the story is the Jews telling their version of the God who creates community, the God who creates Azer. So we're here in, in Genesis chapter two. Um, and I'm actually just going to translate this thing as I'm reading to okay. make it inclusive and to, to, I think, try and hold as many stories as it should and as it's really designed to hold, even though it was written in a time when it didn't know it needed to. So (laughs) here we go. It says, Yahweh took the person and put them in the garden of Eden to work, to enjoy, to keep it, to create, to tend to the beauty of nature there. And Yahweh commanded them and said, you can eat of every, every, Every tree in this garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shouldn't eat. Because in that day, you'll surely die. Then Yahweh said, it's not good that they should be alone. Mm -hmm. I am going to make them an azer fit for them. Mm -hmm. And now... Out of the ground, Yahweh had formed every beast of the field. Every bird of the heavens brought them to the person to see what they would call the animals. And whatever they called them, every living creature, that was its name. And the person gave names to livestock and to all the birds of the heaven, every beast of the field. Before them, there wasn't found the azer fit for them the compatible partner, co-creator. 
And so Yahweh caused a deep sleep to fall upon them while they slept, took one of their ribs and closed its place with flesh. And the rib that Yahweh had taken from them, he wove and made a partner and brought it, brought that partner to the person. <laughs> and the person said, yo, yo, this, this, this is bone of my bone. This, this is flesh of my flesh. They shall be called just like me because they're taken from me. And for this reason, a person will leave their family of origin and hold fast to their partner and they will become like one flesh. And both people were naked, but neither of them had an ounce of shame. This is a scripture from Genesis 15 to 25. Lots of uh, inclusive acrobatics there. What comes up for you when you hear that, April? Help us understand yeah. Azer. I didn't even try to, you know, I, I, I tried to like give my little take on it for a moment there, but I almost didn't even want to give That's it language because I want to hear from you. What does that word mean to you? Yeah. <sighs> I first started exploring that word because of my whole story that when I was a little girl, I was told exactly who I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to do in this world. Mm. And it was so limiting. It was get married, have babies and take care of your man and your children. And that was it. Mm. Mm. There, there was nothing else for me beyond that. And that did not resonate, did not connect, did not feel like it represented dreams and ambition within me. I mean, mm -hmm. I, when I was a little girl, I remember being in elementary school and thinking I wanted to be the first female president of the United States of America. Ooh, come on. Mm -hmm. There's still time, unfortunately. Here we are. We're still there. <laughs> oh. But I, th that's what I wanted. And um, that was certainly not the vision that was cast for me. So I explored that word Azer. I, I didn't know what that word even was. Until probably 10, 12 years ago, I was a grown ass woman. I'd been married. I, <laughs> like, I, I didn't even know that the word Azer existed because mm. in most of our translations, the word in Genesis 2, Azer, is translated as helper, helpmate, or helpmeet. Mm -hmm. And those three words actually resonated with me as I was raised to think about who I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to do in the world. Mm -hmm. those, th those things could coexist. Mm -hmm. So I dug a little bit deeper and the word Azer is used 21 times in the Old Testament. Mm. Twice it's used in Genesis 2 when God is forming woman and says that I will make an Azer that is suitable for him. It actually, that word has little to nothing to do with marriage or with like male, female, like marital partnership. Um, has little to nothing to do with sex. It just is, it is something more than that. Uh, 16 times the word Azer is used in the Old Testament. It is used to describe God. And in those 16 different translations in the Old Testament, it's translated as uh, warrior, mm. wet rescuer, strong helper, face-to-face -face deliverer. Mm. So when Azer is used to describe God, it's used in these powerful 
incredible ways that bring more Mm -hmm. to the situation Mm -hmm. than what is currently had. Mm -hmm. The other three times that's used to describe Israel and her time of need. Mm -hmm. So it's used to describe woman as a subservient, secondary, put her in a place. She is supportive of him. Mm But most of the time, it's used to describe God. And so, I mean, it was like, you know, all of the dots connected, all of the fireworks going like, Uh, there's no way that God is subservient or secondary or lesser than mm -hmm. or to support man. So clearly we have translated this in a way that definitely supports the patriarchy and definitely does not call women into the fullness of who they've been created to be in the Imago Dei. Yeah. So the word for me, that's why we call, you know, our company, I mean, it's Azer and company, that there is this community, there is a partnership that exists between men and women, but also within all of humanity, right? Like there, it is not suitable for us to be alone. We Mm. are to be, we are made to be with one another. We're to enjoy all of this that has been created. Mm -hmm. So it needed to be a company of Mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. But then we talk all the time about us being warrior women, and it is not in a William Wallace, destroy all of the things, <laughs> take down all the crap, you know, fight yeah. wars and battles. Mm-hmm. But it is about the the warriorness of equality and of justice and of stepping into the fullness of who we've been created to be as women. Mm-hmm. So um, that word has a lot of restoring to do, a lot of reclaiming for us to have our identity sealed in ways that allow us then to move into our actions with the kind of supernatural power that has been born into us. Mm. You, I got to pause a second. Cause I just feel like there's so much power and beauty in what you just said. I think what's really, a couple of things are really important to me. I'm very curious about, um, you talked about, warrior women not in the way mm-hmm. of william wallace we're going to destroy and tear everything down um i want to hear more about that but i also think it's really important to understand like i said in the beginning even trying to frame the context of the world that the bible comes from the yeah. world the world that the bible comes from the world that these yeah. these these that this um this story comes from It's, it's not our world. And so it's just like, it, we can't transpose these words into our world and be like, mm. oh yeah, like it's not apples to apples at all. Totally. totally. So the scripture, right? So we just talked about like the environment that this was written into is the environment where the gods are up there. They're far distant from us. They don't care about us. They just create slaves. They want all the power, blah, 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 blah. And, the, and this small tribe of slaves is saying, oh no, no, no. Yahweh, our God, the God of our breath is in every breath, every inhale Mm -hmm. and exhale. This God wants to walk with us and be with us and bestows agency and power and love to walk alongside us and and invites us to be creative and notices when we're lonely, notices we need partnership, knows the beauty of creating a unique partnership with someone so much so that you say, this is like part of me now. Mm-hmm. And you leave your family to be a part with this person. And so the the language, like what it's trying to do is offer a counter story to the empirical, powerful um, 
uh, manifest destiny nature of Babylon at the time. Yeah, totally. It's writing against that from their own experience. And this writing at the time to honor women in that way is revolutionary because at the time it's like slaves, you're worth nothing. Even at the point of Jesus is like children, yeah. because they're now in the, in the Roman empire, children worth nothing, women worth nothing. And, but this is, is honoring dignity, but it's still, so I just appreciate when you said like, even, but even the ways that it's translated in the 1500s and in generations later, we keep making these patriarchal, patriarchal mm -hmm. interpretations of this word that means warrior and presence. These words that you've described now, when we're talking about women, because now they're still written from a place of patriarchy, it's still white men circled around tables making decisions about how. God is going to be imagined and how humanity is going to be imagined with this yeah. really powerful book that is guiding these, yeah. a lot of like colonizing habits and colonizing ways of being, <laughs> even when you're not colonizing other people or decimating uh. indigenous peoples. Oh yes. Disgusting. Um, so I just appreciate you calling our attention to that. And this, and this invitation to, warrior women and i think you know i saw on your instagram um, when you talked about there was some post it was that post about like me like I don't, it's, it's kind of like a scarcity mindset thing it was like this mm. isn't pie right like me me making sure that like i'm fully represented or i'm fully kind of like taking up space doesn't mean you get less space it's like you totally. do the same thing this isn't a pie yes. so but yes. talk to me about that warrior Ness. Like, what is it that you're, you experience what you're hoping for women to encounter in their coaching as they become a part of your community and your company? Yeah. What is that hope for them when you think about yeah. them being warriors or them being whole and healed? Mm -hmm. um, Azer, what does that mean for you? Mm. Two thoughts. One is kind of from a supernatural perspective. I constantly think about how we don't battle against flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. So there's a warriorness of fighting against the darkness of, mm -hmm. of what mm -hmm. is unseen that wants to take us out. And I do think that there is a special hatred for women yeah, because it's been evidenced in our world yeah. for century upon century, century worldwide, right? Yeah. The systemic oppression of women the abuse, the enslavement, all, I mean, every statistic, right, is against women in those categories. So I think that there's something supernatural there that we have to, like, the warrior-ness is about that fight. Mm -hmm. um, even, like, on a maybe silly level, Mark, like, the fact that we've had, like, 85,000 technological issues in recording this podcast episode. Yeah. There <laughs> is, there are forces that do not desire for women to take their place to like step into the fullness of who they've been created to be there. It serves others for women to shy back, hold their spot, you know, just show up and take care of the men. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think there's that, there's that one part. That's like the, the googie spiritual side of me. <laughs> um, the other warrior part that I see and that a lot of the work that we do in our company 
is in women fighting for themselves. And it is first internal. Mm. There are, those are the voices of, I am good enough. I'm smart enough. I am pretty enough. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. am, mm-hmm. I am enough in yeah. all of those ways. And mm-hmm. I need to fight for those voices to be reoriented in my soul. Mm-hmm. And so there is first a fighting for my own identity and power and sense of worthiness. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most common things that we hear it, when women come into coaching that they want is they want confidence. They want more confidence. Mm. And it's because research shows that the, the height of a woman's confidence or self-esteem is when she is nine years old. Mm. That's bullshit. Amen. That's ridiculous. Oh. But what happens starting at nine years old is that slowly gets beaten out of us. Oh, so there is a, there is a fighting for pure identity stuff, like pure who we are in the Imago day. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the fight for justice, right? There's the fight for equality. There is the fight for, there's no reason why in the 17 years that I was in pastoral leadership in churches at two of the most influential churches in the country, <laughs> that I was the only, or one of the few women around the table in leadership spaces for 17 years in places that inherently were dignifying and respecting my contribution. I was still the massive minority. Mm. So there is a fight for us being able to have the table, (laughs) have the spaces reflect a broader picture of what the kingdom looks like, of what humanity looks like for our greater good. And yes, you're right. It is not about scarcity. More for me doesn't mean less for you. Uh, It just means more for us. Mm. Goodness. So those are the three ways I think that the warrior shows up and, Honestly, I have very much gone back and forth of like, do we use that word warrior woman when we talk about that? Because there is so much dangerous, oppressive, violent use of that word in the patriarchy Mm -hmm. um, that I've really wrestled with. Like, do we use a different word? But I I think we need a redefinition. And that's part of the work that we need to do as a company is to redefine what that word looks like, not to destroy and bring violence, but to bring restoration and justice and wholeness. Oh my goodness. I absolutely love that. I think, I think in any spaces that are, you know, trying to reclaim what is most true, mm-hmm. there's like the operating definition of that thing. Now, what does it yeah, mean yeah, to yeah. be woman? What does it mean to be warrior? What does it mean? Um, what does the Bible mean? who is mm-hmm. God. It's yeah. like the word is in my mind. Um, the words are so they're so charged and filled with everybody else's yeah. understanding and we yeah. can shy away from it because everybody else is doing it or we can hold on to it and keep trying to prophetically say, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Speaking yes. the truth about this thing totally. to the status quo, to power and saying like, mm-hmm. no, this doesn't mean violent colonizing patriarchal ways this just means this it means an internal confidence it means me being the authoritative source on my value it's not external it doesn't come from you you don't validate me you don't dignify me you can honor my dignity and you can honor my validity or you cannot but it's i'm here and so i love what you're saying about that and that reminder to us that 
we don't always have to shy away. We, we might want to redefine, we might want to use new language sometimes, but sometimes we can stand and stare a thing or a person yeah. in the face and remind them or to redefine. Oh, you're not going to use that word all the time like this. Cool. I, I hear that. This is what I mean when I'm saying that. So mm-hmm. we're not going to assume we're going to be cl- clear, communicate, um, and you're going to understand from me when I say this word, this is what I mean. I love that. Mm-hmm. April. I think too, like one of the things that is maybe distinctive in our coaching and part of the reason I love how we do our work is that we never are going to tell you what you should do. Mm-hmm. We're not, because we're not the authority in your life, Mark, you know, you right. are, you are the one right. I believe there has been everything placed in you for life and godliness. You know, mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. If you're a fellow follower of Jesus, like there's a, there's a different aspect of like the spirit work, right? So like you got the spirit of living God within you. Who am I to tell you what you should do? I'm going to stop shitting all over you. It's disgusting. Yeah. what toddlers do. Don't shit all over each other. Come right? on. So we get to witness the work that is already being done in you and allow that to birth itself. I, like I view a lot of our work as midwifery work. Like there is a, there is a birthing that happens in women. Wow. When they own, this is what I need to do next. This is where where I'm supposed to go. This is what I'm called to do. This is what I need to say. This is who I need to forgive. Like there is, I don't need to tell you that because I believe you already have everything within you. Mm -hmm. But we often need people to midwife it, to bear witness, to call it out, to affirm, to stand in solidarity, to have your back. Those places are very meaningful but we are not the authority in your life and we are not going to tell you what you should do because mm. you've got it. And mm. I think, gosh, how much more powerful our world would even be and beautiful if that's how women come to the table and enter into their relationships and do their work. It's from that place of like, this is what I need to do. Mm. It's different. It's a very different place. Mm. I love that. I, I, I love what you shared about that sense of honoring um, the the divine presence of God, the spirit of God, knowing that what is within someone else, that they are the authority of their story. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's what Kinship Collective kind of comes from, is that space of like, no, 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 we, we can't keep sitting down, facing forward and allowing one person to give us the image of who God is or yeah. a team of four people to kind of be on this rotation that's going to like describe God. Yep. We need to hear who God is from one another. We need to He's hear good. one another's stories to build solidarity. Yep. And but but the base of that is to say, no, no, no. You are just as authoritative on your perspective and your experience of God. Mm-hmm. You, you're the only authoritative voice yeah. for you. Yep. And that person yep. is the authoritative voice for them. But we can create a bigger imagination together as we're all true about what we've experienced. Instead of trying to conform all of our experience to the person on that stage, usually the white man over there. And so I love, to me, that resonates deeply because that's what we're trying to do. And we're in that same space of like, do we redefine? Do we use a new word? Do we reclaim the old word and give it a new image, a new picture of what that looks like? Oh, man, April, I'm so A lot of times it's both and, just to encourage you and your work there. It's a both and because it's bridge building work, right? Mm. Like you really really are taking people from a place to a new place. And so in that way, you have to use language that is already common and known and understood to a a degree. And then you can help to create something new on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm very much a believer that most of 
most of work that is actually going to be sustainable and transformative and like legacy mm-hmm. leaving is mm-hmm. going to be a both and. It's not throw the baby out the bathwater or burn the whole thing down as much as I would like to do that some days. Yeah, yeah. There is bridge building work that needs to be done. And, you know, we're recording this the day after Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Come on. celebrating his birthday. And he was one of the best bridge builders that we've ever seen. And at the same time, it got him killed. So um, it's not bridge building work is not easy. Mm-hmm. Bridge building work is not, um, it's not whitewashing. Yeah. It is something that is really dangerous and it is a vision for the future without abandoning the past. Oh man. April, I'm so grateful for your time, for your perspective, um, but for who you are and who you've chosen to be, to be faithful to your journey that, that you would embrace forgiveness and the invitation of God to like, okay, you've been rejected by these people in this system. You never and never will be rejected by me. And to do that mm-hmm. internal work, to articulate the dream and to be provoked by people around you and your daughter into the dream, but now to be doing the work to continue to proclaim, and I, you know, that word, but to continue to hold up the mirror and to ask people, what do you see here? Oh man, yeah. I see it too. I see so much there too. And to provoke people into their own warriorness, into their own divinity. When you say Azer to me, now mm-hmm. I can only think of the 16 times it's used for God and to know that it's used for humanity at the same time and to say, oh man, how is God alive in you? How, how are you built and designed to yep. give image to God? Thank you for that work. Mm-hmm. Family, you can follow April on Instagram at April L. Diaz. Um, you can check out Azer and Co. at www.azerandco.com. Yep. April, I'm so grateful for your voice and for your time. And like we celebrate your voice. I, I'm just imagining there are so many beautiful, extraordinary stories on the other side of this conversation. And we can't wait to have conversations with you about the ways that your journey has taken you into a place. So thank you, April. And thank you for listening. Love and family. Peace.